This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. When we knew there was no more treatment, when we all but said the words, you know, when Luca would inquire, he wanted to know, um, when we all but kind of said the words that there was nothing left for us to do. Uh, one night when I took him to bed, he, he, he wanted, I think he was feeling me out. He wanted to see what I would say and what I was feeling. Um, but he, he told me he knew he was going to be okay no matter what. And so just by saying no matter what, I knew what he meant. And it was all that I could do, but I didn't keep it together. Let's not even try to pretend I did. I didn't keep it together. And, and he he just hugged me harder and said, Mom, I'm going to be okay. I, ju- I just, I, I want you to be okay. I want you to still be happy. Luca was just like any normal young boy. He loved to play tricks on his sisters and his mom. He liked to play soccer and sports. He liked to fish all the things that young boys like to do. And he was leading a very normal life until the age of seven when they got the news that no parent ever wants to hear. On today's episode, you're gonna hear more about Luca's story because I had the pleasure to sit down with his mom, Carol Ann Breivak. Carol Ann is the recent best-selling author of the book, Luca's Light. Luca's Light is Luca's story, but it is also the 11 lessons that Carol Ann learned through the life of her young son. It's a beautiful story. It's an emotional story. And I know you're going to enjoy this episode. So I'd like to invite you to sit back and listen in as Carol Ann Breivak shares Luca's story as well as her own. Carol Ann, welcome to It Just Takes One. It's so great to have you. I was just, as we got onto the call, I said, boy, we were meeting so regularly as you wrote the book. And now it's been a while since I've seen you. So it's a pleasure to see you. And I'm excited to have this interview today. Thank you. I'm I'm, I'm a little nervous as my, as my writing is always more comfortable for me than, than speaking, but I will do my best Understandable. to make this go smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> totally understandable. Um, okay. Because we met on Zoom so many times during the book writing process, I'm hoping that this is actually a familiar venue for you and I to be meeting. Um, my hope is maybe someday we'll actually get to meet in person. Um, that would be great. That would be that would be wonderful. It really would. It really would. Yeah. So, Carolyn, you wrote a beautiful book called Luca's Light, and I have the book here marked with all my notes for our talk today. Um, and obviously, so many things that I want to share about this book. But Luca is your son, and I would like you to start off telling us about Luca. Who who is Luca? Well, tell us a little bit about him. Okay, tough, loaded question. Luca, I, I when I think of Luca, I I almost have two separate versions of him. Um, he was diagnosed with his cancer at age seven, and before that, um, he was the most energetic, loving, smart, very precocious little boy from from 
the time he was a baby, he just was very engaging. He was, he was a people person. He, he loved to be with people. He loved to engage people and he, he loved, he made me smile all the time, made anyone who knew him smile and, and was kind of a jokester, but he would like to catch you in, in his little, uh, in his little jokes and then laugh and think that was funny. If you fell for, for his little antics. Um, he, he was like that just from the very beginning. Um, always, always a very competitive kid, but had such a kind, kind heart. Like he, he didn't want, he didn't compete to make anybody feel worse. I think he just, that was just his nature to compete and, and do well. Um, I don't know. I, I, he's just, he was always something a little bit special. He had, like I said, he was able to connect to people kind of at any age. And so when I think of Luke, I think of him as being an old soul. He, he, he was, he was probably more comfortable when he was little with older people. Um, and he would have these conversations with, with folks, you know, adults and, and, and older elderly people he would actually like to sit and, and talk to. Um, sometimes as he was growing up, his peers, I don't know, he he, he found them maybe like he needed he needed more. And I don't want to say that he he was smarter than his peers, but he just always seemed to be looking to the next phase a little bit more, which which is really something to think about looking back because he sort of, he sort of expedited his life. Like he, he, he sort of lived a little ahead of where he was. And that just, it's a little ironic to me because I feel like he did live such a big life in only 11 years. Um, but he, he was just something special for sure. Well, as the listeners are listening to that, I want to just affirm that because I've had the pleasure of working with you, Carolyn, on this book and hearing some of the stories, not just reading them, but hearing stories throughout the process. And, and he certainly was wise beyond his years and, and an old soul is exactly how I have come to think of him as well as I have had a chance to get to know him through you and through your words. I also uh, kind of chuckled there's a, a point where you asked your husband bob uh, you know how would he describe luca and he said very competitive ultra competitive extremely yeah. extremely competitive or something like that and yeah, yeah. very compassionate yeah yes for sure for sure he, he if if his if his winning meant someone else feeling bad he'd pull back and and if there was a time when he needed someone else to win he sure did he sure did. He was, he was a very compassionate kid and he didn't, he never wanted to see anybody sad or, or suffering in any kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. Such a special young man. And, and like you said, lived a lot in his short life, but also shared a lot in his short life. And we're going to hear some of his journey and some of the things that you learned along the way. I want to start by just literally opening the book to page one in your introduction. And I want to share, there's actually a quote that you share in the first paragraph that I think is a very profound quote. And I just want to start with that um, in terms of getting into the, the full story here. You said, uh, Luca's brave and faithful spirit got us through and will continue to do so from now until we meet again. I came across this quote by Marshawn Evans Daniels, and it spoke to me. 
Your struggles are connected to your calling and are, in part, what qualify you for greater impact. I love that idea that our challenges and the things that we struggle for are somehow connected to what we are here being called to do. Can you tell me a little bit about what that quote, how that spoke to you and why that quote really stood out to you as you think about your your story, your journey uh, with Luca? Um, yeah, it, it's sort of, it's a strange, a strange thing, but right from day one of Luca's diagnosis, um, I, I felt like I needed people. I needed people to pray for us. I, this was way bigger than I could handle on my own. Um, I don't consider myself a strong person. I, I, I consider myself sort of a, a needy person. Actually, I, I need people around me. I need help of others. I, I um, am not necessarily a, a solo kind of person. Um, but he, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I just felt like this was going to be something that was, that had a bigger purpose than just us. And um, of course, in the beginning, you know, I, I, I had hope. I wasn't going to believe that this was the end for, for Luca or the start of the end for Luca. I didn't, I wasn't going there at all. Um, but of course your fears creep in. And I think I, I, throughout, throughout his whole journey, I just, I, I had to share. I wanted people's feedback. I wanted people's prayers. I knew that we were going to have to use this story to help others along the way. And, and I was hoping in the beginning that it was going to be that I could, you know, that we would be people's example of how God pulled us through because how could all these prayers and all this love end with a bad ending, right? With, with Luca dying, but it, 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 it turned out to be that it's my purpose now to show that God will help us and he will get us through and he didn't abandon us. He didn't not answer our prayers. It just was a bigger purpose. It had a bigger impact than my life and my happiness of having my son be here. It, it, it was a bigger purpose of proving that we can get through whatever we are faced with. If we have that faith in God and we have that belief that our life is more than just this life on earth, that there is something better that we're working for, that we're working towards, that we're hoping for, um, that impact of, of eternal life, of God's promise. I think that is what, that is what I have learned through this. And I, and I, as hard as it is some days to not have him here. And of course, that would have been my answered prayer, but um, I've learned in so many ways that he really is still with me and he is still here and he is still helping me <laughs> and God's allowing that God's allowing him to still be so close to me and, and have me focus in my hardest days that I will be with him again. Um, and so that, that, that's a pretty big idea. And I, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to be so sure of that had I not had Luca in the first place. Yeah. So I think that this struggle really has taught me to look, 
to look further than what's right here and what's right on this earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, certainly that message and the consistency and depth of your faith and of Luca's faith are certainly a very integral part of the story and how he uses that. We'll probably get to that as we go through. I want to come back because we'll see how his faith crept in and how your faith held steady, even in the moments when you were questioning, um, you still came back to it and, and found it even in the darkest of times. But let's, let's go back and kind of catch the listeners up to how this all came about. So here's Luca, normal young boy doing all the things normal young boys do. There's beautiful photos in the center of the book of him playing soccer and fishing and building snowmen and playing with his sisters and, you know, everything that young boys do. Mm -hmm. until the day that he started feeling sick. Why don't you go ahead and pick up the story there and just share how we came to the point where, where Luca had the diagnosis. Okay. Uh, he had just turned seven. We were in the very last weeks of his first grade year. So it was, it was June, actually with the end of May. Um, and he started to just like, he had a couple of days where he just didn't feel well, had a little bit of a headache. Um, and then he would wake up in the morning and, and throw up and then he'd feel so much better and he'd go on with his day. So this happened, it was kind of one weekend where he wasn't feeling great. So we thought, okay, well, it's just a little bug. Um, and then it got to the point of he, one, one day he was throwing up a lot. So, um, my husband ended up taking him into urgent care. Um, actually, I think we had, I should back up. We, we went to the pediatrician first, um, because we thought he was a little off balance and, and just had maybe some inner ear. We thought maybe an ear infection or something like that, but it didn't seem like more than any kind of a virus. Uh, so we saw the pediatrician, um, and it wasn't, as I kind of go in the book a little bit more in detail, but it wasn't our normal doctor, our regular doctor. We had to see someone else. Uh, and that's what she kind of thought. It was just maybe, you know, there was not an ear infection, but we thought it was just sort of some kind of sinusy thing that was throwing him off. Um, and then that weekend, uh, my husband started to see him be a little bit kind of more off balance, like when they were kicking a soccer ball. Um, he stumbled a little bit and he seemed to hesitate a little bit more with his balance. And again, we thought, ah, if he's got a little bit of a virus or if there's something going on sinusy, it wasn't all that unusual. Um, but he then then that the weekend in between, he got more sick and he was he was feeling very lethargic and vomiting a lot. My husband took him into urgent care and they gave us um meds to stop the vomiting and just kind of were like, ah, it's a virus. So, okay, there we were again, but this was only all over maybe a week and a half's time. So it was a very short time that we, that we saw all of this. And then, uh, we took him back. He felt better. My husband went out of town. This was, a, he went to school on a Monday. Then the following Tuesday, he woke up and was, throwing up again and said, mom, my head really hurts. It really hurts. And that kind of scared me. Um, so back to the pediatrician, we went, uh, of course it was still a Tuesday, which was the day that my, our regular doctor wasn't in. So we saw the same one we saw the week before and she kind of right away noticed that his face seemed off. It was not symmetrical. Um, I thought maybe that he had some swelling in an eye again, like on kind of a side of his nose, maybe sinusy stuff is all that I was thinking. Um, and 
she she must have had she had an inclination that something was not right. But as soon as she saw him from the week before, um, she said, yeah, there's, there's definitely a difference in his face. And she actually thought it was maybe Bell's palsy, but she, again, um, I don't think that she, she didn't want to scare me, but she, I think knew it was something more in her gut. Uh, so we never even went home. She scheduled us right away to go to children's hospital in Milwaukee and, uh, and get, get an MRI. So I, I, she said, you know, she kind of said something about, we don't really uh, clinically diagnose Bill's palsy. And, and uh, that's all I kind of heard was, ah, you know, and, and, and I was thinking ah, worse things, maybe he had some really badly impacted sinus. That's still as far as I was going um, and hoping that maybe then we would just have to, maybe there would be a little bit more invasive of a, of a fix for that. Um, never, never in my wildest dreams did I go to a brain cancer brain <laughs> tumor. I did not, not go there. Um, but so we, we went and, and as luck would have it, Bob was out of town. Um, so we went, I didn't want to tell him right away because I thought I, you know, I'll just tell him afterwards when we, when we get some antibiotics or whatever they're going to do to send us on our way. Well, we never left children's, um, we, we stayed there, got the bad news, um, bad news. That's an understatement. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, yeah, we never, we never left the hospital. We were admitted that day and I had to call my husband and tell him that they found a mass on Luca's brain. Um, the most horrible, horrible, um, horrible day. <laughs> but, um, I don't know. I, it, it was kind of a whirlwind. I mean, the, the nurse who, um, was with me there was an angel. Um, she gave me the time and space to figure out how I was going to make that phone call, how I was going to be reunited with Luca as they took me out of the room um, and got him out of the MRI. Uh, it was it was just a crazy, crazy day. Um, I don't know how about, I don't know. Kelly. I know, I don't know, I know I, I'm just listening to it again. You know, uh, you told me the story, you've written the story, I've read it, but even now as I'm sitting here listening to you say it and just thinking, you know, it's as, as a mother, anybody out there who's a parent, how many times we take our kids to urgent care for an antibiotic, you know, an ear infection, right. a sinus infection, little things that happen that, uh, you know, pink eye or, you know, all these things right. that are just normal childhood things that you take them and you get them cleared up and on they go. And so, you know, thinking about you in that moment and just carrying on as you do, like get him some antibiotics, get him some a prescription and we'll get through this. And then the, the whirlwind <laughs> from yeah. it's not that it's something more to it's something really dire. It's it's a brain tumor. Um, I, I, even just now hearing you say it again, it was like hitting me in my heart again of as a parent to have to hear that news and then to have to process that, get your feet under you, take care of Luca, who's also hearing that news or getting some news that there's something more and mm -hmm. then having to call your husband because he wasn't right there. Um, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I feel that even now. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to rethink that. I even though it's not like I ever forget, but you don't let yourself maybe go back there all the time. 
Yeah, yeah. But you did move past that moment. So that was like a drop, <laughs> drop to the bottom yeah. of, of any any um, darkness that you could expect or, or imagine. But you you crawled through that and you kept going. And you went on this journey with Luca with this cancer for four and a half years. Yeah, four and a half years. And one of the beautiful things in your book, Carol Ann, and one of the beautiful things that you did, which I think is a great message to anybody out there who is going through anything like this, is the Caring Bridge journals that you kept. You put some of those journals into the book so that we can see and read in the moment exactly what you were thinking, experiencing, um, what was what was happening. Tell us what made you decide to start those journals and how did those help you as you went on this journey to get to get through this to the point that you could? Um, like I said, it was it was I, I knew this was big and I needed to share. Um, and I had had uh, a cousin use Caring Bridge some years prior to that. Um, and he was able to share um, his his daughter's um progress and, and story with us through there. Um, so we, our family was familiar with it. Uh, so my sister who lives in Florida, like the next day said, Hey, and in the meantime, we were getting texts and calls and as people started to hear, um, that what was happening, they, they wanted to reach out. Um, and I knew it was just going to be overwhelming and difficult to be able to respond to people, you know, one by one, and you just you just don't have you just don't have it in you to do that to be able to do that. Um, so my sister said, "Hey, let me look into Caring Bridge for you. I'll set you up. Um, I'll do it for you if you want me to. Otherwise, you know, I'll just get you started." And so I said, "Yeah, right away to that." Um, so she she set me up, and we started really telling the story. I think by the next day or the next, you know, that that this had happened and. Um, I was just begging people to pray for us, to pray that we had a plan to, to beat this. Um, so that, that was, that was, uh, kind of an, I don't know, it was just an easy, um, an easy option. And it was, it really was helpful. Um, people shared with it and then they would, people would respond, um, and, and comment on it along the way every day. And, um, it was just comforting to me at the end of the day in the hospital, Luca would go to sleep and I couldn't sleep. So I would open up Caring Bridge and either share what happened that day or be able to read what people had sent to me. And knowing that there was that many people thinking of us and praying for us um, really was a comfort. Such a good piece of advice. I think just if anybody's going through this mm -hmm. um, to Caring Bridge certainly being one resource, but even just the idea of some kind of journaling where you're keeping yes. people up to date, but also yourself, you know, being able to go back now and when you want to go in right. and read some of it again. Um, and we'll we'll talk about your daughters here, but I was remembering that I think it was Nina who actually said she's now going back and reading your journals uh, because she doesn't always, you know, she was younger too and she Yep. through it, but she was younger than she is now. And, um, and I think she wrote in her section that she's really appreciating yes. the journals. Yeah. 
yeah, I think at the time they didn't, they didn't need to read it. They didn't actually even want to know all the details, you know I mean? And they, they were, they were young. I, they, they, they heard what they needed to hear as we went along with each day without, you know, overwhelming them. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think, I think having it now just to kind of document that whole time, it really is, it really has turned out to be a blessing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of blessings, although it was not always a joy during this time, <laughs> there were a lot of ups and downs. It was a roller coaster as you continued treatments and, and Luca went through everything that he went through uh, to, to try and beat this thing. One chapter you titled, Not Every Day is Good, But There is Good in Every Day. And there are a couple of stories, many of them, but a couple that stand out to me that I thought we could highlight today mm-hmm. that were those moments of joy, those bits of good that were happening in the midst of all of this, this tumultuous time. Yes. Um, one of them was the Pennies for Patients program that he did, because I think it's just such a, to me, an indication of the kind of person that Luca was. Um, Share just a little bit about that. And then I'll give you a couple others that I think stood out. Okay. This story always makes me cry. And so bear with me. Um, But okay. So Luca, as I said, was diagnosed in June. Um, It was the winter, maybe February, March or something. I can't, I think I said in the book, I look back, but um, every year our school did a pennies for patients drive. And it was a, um, a donation or a, a fundraiser for the leukemia and lymphoma society. Um, so they would, they would literally have kind of what, like sometimes you hear of as penny wars now. So the classes would collect um, change or pennies or, or dollars, however, however kids wanted to donate. Um, and then they would sort of compete against each other class-wise. So the class that brought in the most, um, donations at the end of the given time period, won a pizza party. So Luca, um, came to me one day and said, mom, he, he was collecting pennies and emptying his piggy bank and he would empty so much every day, right? Like over this period, it was like a week, week's time and he would fill little baggies count out his money and put you know put a sticky note on there and take it to school and by the end of that week he said mom where is my hundred dollar bill that I got for Christmas and I said why what do you need it for and he he said I want to donate it to pennies for patients and he said his class his class wasn't winning as his competitive uh, nature really wanted to. Um, he said, not enough people are donating. I, we need more money and I want to win the pizza party for my class. So, and, and, and he, not only that though, then he, he wrapped up by saying, um, no kid should ever be so sick that they have to die. And I really, I really want to donate my Christmas money. And so we got that hundred dollar bill and we put it in his baggie and I sent a note to the teacher saying, please get that baggie right away. So it doesn't get lost. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, that was, that was shortly just a couple months before he was diagnosed. Yeah. Amazing. Right. What, yeah. What, um, like you said, big heart, big hearted yeah. competitor, but I just thought that story was such a good indication of the kind of kid he was. You know, he, yes, for sure. He wanted sure. to help others. He wanted to help yep. others. That was important to him. Yeah. Another story 
and maybe a, a series of them because you had many trips where you were going to um, Atlanta, down to Georgia to to get mm-hmm. treatments. And you talk about, you know, those were not pleasant times in terms of the treatment and whatever, but it was really beautiful time that you had alone with him. And yes. there were a couple of stories that you shared. Feel free to, to talk about anything that you remember of that time, but just that you had some very special alone time with him as he was going through this, which I thought was a, a joy. Oh yeah. Um, you know, some, when I think, when I think back about the fact that I just went hit with, by myself with him, um, I, I think, oh God, how did it, how did I do that? You know, I don't, I don't, why, how did I not be afraid that the worst could happen and we would be by ourselves there without Bob and without the girls. Um, but looking back, it really truly was such a blessing. Oh, sorry. This is more emotional than I thought it would be. Um, yeah. Usually I can kind of keep track of myself, but um, he, yeah, it, it, we had such a great time. I, I, I actually think that that's why this, this time of year is hard for me now, because this was the time of year that we were there. We left in September and we were there pretty much up until Christmas, um, Christmas time. And we, I, I, you know, we were in a little room at the Ronald McDonald house and we had people around us, but we had time to take walks. We had time to go. He still felt pretty well for the most part. Um, so we were very, very fortunate that way. He, we went and bought tennis rackets. Um, people would send us things and they sent us some money to buy things, to do things with. And he wanted to use some of the money we got to go buy tennis rackets. So we, there was a park that was close by that had, um, soccer goals. It had tennis courts. It had a little playground and we used that so often. And it was in the weather was beautiful we play tennis all the time. He would laugh at me because of course I am not as athletic as, as he would have liked me to be as a partner, but which, which let him win. So that was also kind of good, but but I'd give him a run for his money once in a while, you know, and, and uh, he would like to give me tips as to how, how I could improve my stroke or improve my, my kick. But um, yeah, looking back at that, it was, it, I, I don't know I, you, you, I'm so thankful for that time. Yeah, he's he was just we whether no matter what we were doing, he just he just embraced everything. And he he could have also been very cranky and sad or you know fussy about us being stuck somewhere else, you know, but he he really didn't. He he embraced it and he taught me how to do the same. Yeah, I think that is um very special, just a very special time that you had, but a special memory as well to pull back and to, to bring up again. The other one that I want to mention is the trip to Croatia, because there was a moment where you got to take him there. And I know yeah. that wasn't easy, um, but I think, again, another memory that you made and another experience that you had with him that was pretty special. Go ahead and share a little bit about that trip. Yeah, for sure. Um, we had been to Croatia as a family, um, the year before Luca got sick. So in, in 2013, um, so the kids had had that experience, knew it was a wonderful thing, knew it was a special thing. Um, and the group that we had been traveling with was going again in 18 and 
of course, that was at the end when we knew Luca did not have the same strength and not have, I mean, we just to, to think about taking him out of the country and, and away from our doctors and um, that safety net. Again, looking back, I think, were we crazy? What were we thinking? Um, but as I talk about in the book, our, our doctors, our medical team were so supportive. And again, I think they had the foresight of knowing we needed this experience as a family. Um, and they, they helped us. They did everything they possibly could to keep him safe and help us give us tools to take with us to, to keep him safe and get him through the trip. And we did, we ended up taking him to two week tour of Croatia. And one of the places that we really wanted to get to was Medjugorje, which is, um, a place where the blessed mother has appeared to, um, uh, when it started, it was, it was children in Croatia and, and now they're grown adults. Um, but it was just, it's sort of a holy place where healings happen, where miracles happen. And, you know, I think we, we wanting to do everything possible that we could do to make sure that we tried every last possible thing to save our son. Uh, we really wanted to get him there. So we took a little side trip, um, from the group. We, we, rented a car and, and the five of us went. And again, it, it, we obviously didn't get the healing, the, the miracle that we were hoping for, but um, the peace that it has given me looking back to know that we, we made it there. Um, we, we, oh, sorry, we got there. And, and I, I think that the blessings we, we got maybe didn't feel like it right at the moment we were, I was, you know, not, not to say I didn't get disappointed when, when big things didn't happen, but, um, something I've, I, I've had a special connection with the blessed mother and to be able to be there, I think gave me extra strength. And it, it helps me with that connection of, of being strong as a mom and, and, and remembering what you need to do to just keep going for all of your kids. And I still have two here and, I think, you know, that, that just gave me, um, a little extra support and, and, and strength to know what I need to keep doing, keep, keep going forward, but keep moving, keep moving. Yeah. Keep moving. And I'm glad you brought it back to that and, um, seeing the faith that you had that obviously you instilled in your children as well. And certainly in Luca, um, I marked a place in the book, um, where you talk about incredible faith and you said, um, you know, you actually had given a journal entry about Luca's faith and how strong that was really from the time he was a toddler. But you also mentioned a time here when you were in Augusta and you had found a nice church, St. Mary on the Hill, and you and Luca were going there pretty much every Sunday. Yeah. Um, you always felt renewed and at peace after mass. And you said, I knew that Luca was praying hard. I'm sure he prayed to be healed as we, of course, talked about that all of the time. Looking back, though, I bet he was praying for all of us just as hard. I'm pretty sure he knew deep down earlier on than we suspected what was going to happen. I think he was praying for strength and peace for all of us to be able to be okay, no matter what. You're killing me, Kelly. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. It's so emotional. And, and I think it's so healing even now to feel it and to 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 cry the tears because it's so present 
in the as we're talking about it, right? But it's even though time goes by, it's still so present. <laughs> um, yeah, for sure. His faith, his faith was the faith of of men triple his age. You know, he right at such a young age knew something. How did that help you? How did his faith help you? Oh man, uh, another loaded question. Because if if when when I wanted to be angry at God, when I wanted to stop believing that, how you know how could a God do this to a to a boy this age that was you know an innocent kid? Why why are innocent kids suffering? Um, I I had to look at Luca and and know that no matter what i it's 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 real he believed that i mean as i as i uh, he he would pray on his own as i talked about in the book a couple different times i think that you know i would look at him and he'd be praying and you know he was he was very reverent even as a little kid like you just knew that he was focused and he knew he was talking to god it was like he just had it, it, it was incredible. And so to see that in your, in your kid, um, how could I not follow suit? How could I not believe that something, th- there was something special about him that he had such a good connection. And when, uh, sorry, excuse me, when we went to, um, um, Ohio, when I talk about, um, meeting Dr. Nimi, which is a whole nother topic. Um, but he, he, said, you know, he had a sense that Luca knew, had Jesus in his heart and he, he knew he had a special connection. Um, you could see that. And I, I think, I think what really did it for me was, um, the night that Luca told me, you know, we're in so many words, um, this is a whole another story that maybe I'm jumping to, but, um, when we knew there was no more treatment, when we, all but said the words, you know, when Luca would inquire, he wanted to know um, when we all but kind of said the words that there was nothing left for us to do. Uh, one night when I took him to bed, he, he, he wanted, I think he was feeling me out. He wanted to see what I would say and what I was feeling. Um, but he, t- he told me he knew he was going to be okay, no matter what. And so just by saying no matter what, I knew what he meant. And it was all that I could do, but I didn't keep it together. Let's not even try to pretend I did. I didn't keep it together. And and he, he just hugged me harder and said, mom, I'm going to be okay. I I just, I I want you to be okay. I want you to still be happy. You know, at that time he was 11, like what 11 year old says that, or even thinks that, or even has that, um, he just, he had that insight already to know that he, he knew that he'd be leaving us and he, that we would be devastated. And he was already thinking ahead to that. Like he was already not about himself. Right. Right. And he wanted us to be okay. But, you know, so I, I, that just to me, and, and the fact that he wasn't scared, he, he knew he would be okay. That's crazy faith. Like that's, you know, he knew he was going to a better place. He knew that he would be okay 
and he was worried about us here, <laughs> which, you know, like, again, that reassurance in eternal life in what's that there is something better than we know here that what greater gift, what greater gifts could I honestly get? Yeah, I, I, it's incredible. It's really incredible. And so we come to the part of the story where, you know, we, we see that he did not continue to be here. Right. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Share a little bit of, of that. And then I want to talk about where you are now and where he is now. All right. So uh, you want me to just start from my struggle of, of, <laughs> of being okay with him not being here. Um, yeah, the, the, the first year, it's hard to even remember. I don't think that I was cognizant of a lot of my first year. I think that it just sort of went, uh, went by in a fog, honestly, like it, it, it really was just kind of take every day and get through it. And whatever energy I had needed to be put into just getting through the day. Um, you know, the girls at the time were in high school and I all, I, all along, I just always knew that they're worth it, right? They're worth my getting up in the morning. They need me still. I need them. Um, how could I let them think that, sorry, because, because their brother was gone that, their mom was going to be gone. Like that wasn't even a question for me. And I, I needed to, that's what got me out of bed, to be honest. That's what got, they, they are the reason that I got out of bed in the morning and, and, and took a shower and got dressed and, and did what we needed to do. But honestly, that was, that was all the energy I had was to do what we needed to do. Um, and I think, you know, you get a lot of grace from people in that first year and, and people are okay with you not being okay. Um, and then you move to the second year and you think it's going to be better. You think it should be better. That was almost worse because everybody sort of expects this, you know, a whole year has gone by. You should be sort of getting a little bit better and moving along your way. And I think that's when it really like was more real that, this wasn't going to change. This wasn't, this wasn't a bad dream. He's not coming back. Uh, this is how we have to figure out how to live life without him. And, uh, I, I was, I was angry a lot during those first couple years. Um, and it really wasn't until the start of the third year, I would say that with the help of, of many wonderful supportive people, uh, you know, a, a Bible group that I went to and, and that I talk about, um, that I just, that something started to change in my heart where I started to feel I was praying a ton for peace and asking God to, to give me peace. It's, I just needed to not be so angry. And, and so it's, it's, and I don't, I wasn't angry every day. You know, it's not like that, like my whole self was mad all the time, but I think it just, I just couldn't move past the sadness and, 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 looking at everything and wondering what would it be? Why, why are we here? You know, why, why do we get to this point? But so that, that's another thing that I would like people to take from this is just that you need to give yourself time because you can't expect 
it, you, yourself just to feel better on any given day. Like you're not just going to say tomorrow I'm going to wake up and it's going to be two years gone and I should be fine. That that's not how it is. And, and it's not the same as it was for me, for anybody else. It it's, it's a personal journey and it, you have to give yourself the time and the grace to move through all of the phases. And even you might take a step back, you might, you might move through the phases and then all of a sudden you find yourself back, you know, in, in a, in a rut, let yourself be there. And, and, but then each day you just, I, I, I pray that each day is a little bit better that you find your way, you, you move forward. And that's kind of what it, what it, what it has been for me, but I can honestly say, I, I, I now feel better about life in general. I feel better about moving forward. And, um, obviously you can see that my emotions are still right, you know, right at the, right at the edge, um, on any given day, but not every day is like that. And, and some days I smile more than, than I cry for sure. And I laugh and I, and I enjoy life and I enjoy my husband and my girls and the rest of my family and friends, you know, we're so fortunate to have such a great community around us, um, that, that allow me to be joyful and give me reason to be joyful. And, and Luca gives me reason to be joyful still. Um, he, he also told me that he would still be able to visit me and say hi to me. And, and it might not be him, but it might be, uh, animals and such. And, honestly, that, that continues to happen. That happens all the time. And he still like, he liked to scare me. That was another little side note. He would like to come around the corner and make me jump and make me shriek. Um, and now he does that, like might be a bird flying out of a, a bush or it might be something, you know, somebody coming around the corner too fast. And I always think, Oh, you little stinker. You got me again. You know? <laughs> You're still getting me. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, so I, and those, those are the little moments that now, I really feel that God gives me to make me smile again and, and make me know that I'll, I'll be with him again someday. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, even yeah. in the time that we worked together on the book, I often told you, I felt like when I was getting on the call with you, that he was in our presence. Like he was always there going, come on, mom, let's keep going. Let's get this done. Yep. Keep going. Um, I really yeah. felt that presence as well. And, uh, and I, and I still see that even, even as I'm looking at you on this interview, the lights that are surrounding you right now are like, he's all over you, you know, he's there. He's he's sort of enjoying this whole exchange is my, my image right now. Um, You ended up deciding to take your story and put it in a book. And, and I want to talk about why you decided to do that. What made you decide it was time to write the story? Uh, Well, Really, the time that I started to feel better um, was when I started to write this book. And I, I maybe it's chicken or the egg kind of thing, because I think um, the book helped me, writing the book helped me, but also I needed I needed to be in a better place to start it. So I, again, I think I just really, you know, from the start knew that this was bigger than us, bigger and maybe this, so this was part of what I th- hoped was my purpose in all of this was, was the way I would help make an impact um, for other people was to share his faith, share Luca's faith and share that what, you know, honestly, these lessons that, that he did teach me all along the way. If, you know, 
like we've talked about, if, if you can help one person, if you can help one person navigate through their worst times and they can see that I'm a normal person, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I, 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 like I said, I've always considered myself to be spiritual, to be, um, faithful, but I'm, I was still very normal and very needy person. Right. But, but God helped me through all of this. Luca helped me, gave me Luca, I think, to teach these lessons, to teach the lessons that, that your faith is so important and that you just have to keep your eye one step further of, of what is meaningful and what is right and what will get you through this earthly life and, and hopefully get you to heaven, get you to, you know, to what we're all striving for. Um, I, I don't know. And, and plus selfishly as a mom, um, it keeps him alive, right? It keeps his memory alive and it keeps um, little bits of him present. And when people reach out to me and say they've read the book and they didn't know Luca, but now they feel like they know him. That's the best gift. So, so it's not all just altruistic. I, you know, selfishly it's keeping him alive in, in our own way. And that's, so I, I think all of that wrapped in one is, you know, is, is, is the book and I'm super proud of it. And, and I know that, uh, I had a lot of help in putting it together. Yeah, I, I, I'm so glad you wrote the book. I shared right before we started talking, uh, before we started recording, um, that as I have been reading it again to just get ready for this conversation, I'm looking at it myself in a whole new way. So I'm saying this to you listening uh, because this isn't a book just for parents whose children are sick. This is for anybody who is going through a difficult time and not even necessarily an illness, but certainly um, an illness. Um, And I was sharing that my husband had just been diagnosed with cancer and we're just about to head into the treatment, which we know is going to be a a dark tunnel. And as I was preparing for this call, I was reading through in a whole new way, taking the lessons that you and Luca are teaching and taking them in. For myself and marking some spots that I'm going to come back to in the next couple of weeks and months as we go through the treatment, um, because it's going to help me. And so if you're a listener out there who is going through a struggle or knows someone who is going through a struggle, this is the kind of book you want to give as a gift or to have at your nightstand, because not only is it a beautiful story, but the lessons in here are something that we can all use. We can all use little glimmers of um, hope <laughs> and, and things to, to think about as we go through those challenges. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you to Luca for giving the story, but also pushing you along to, to share it. If people would like to get it, Caroline, where can they find the book? It's on Amazon. Um, just look it up on Amazon. I also did start a public page on Facebook and imagine that it's called Luca's Light. <laughs> um, it's a place where I, you know, will continue to share things that I feel kind of fit the spirit of the book, the spirit of our story. But I also invite other people to to share things on that page. Um, let give a, give us little glimmers of hope. Give us little anecdotes that maybe you know you things that you have experienced that that 
show God's presence in, in times when you need him the most and, or just things that make you happy. Like, uh, you know, anything that, that might remind you of Luca, that might remind you of, of part of our story. I'd love for people to share on there as well and, and, and continue in his spirit. Excellent. I will make sure all those links are in the show notes below. So if you're interested, you can, you can catch them down in the, in the show notes. Before we end, uh, Carol Ann, I always like to ask each guest, each author about the, the title of the podcast. It just takes one because I think it's a profound statement and I'm always interested and curious to hear what people see or think when they hear that phrase. So what does it mean to you? What does it just takes one mean to you? When I first um, thought about this question, I thought, you know, I think it just takes one person to make an incredible impact on another. Um, and, and one, you know, that, that one person truly can make a difference in, in this great big world, right? Um, but then I, I thought a little bit more of it and I thought, also, it just takes one experience. It takes one uh, one day maybe in your life or one diagnosis in your life that will change your whole world. And I think, you know, while we can never be really fully prepared for that, being grounded in, in our faith and having, having a, some kind of foundation to help you navigate it, you know, that one thing, it just takes one thing to turn your world upside down, but look for that one person who will also make that, that difference, you know, and I, that one person, I mean, the obvious answer is that that's God, right. But God gives us people in our life that you might just meet one person that'll help make your day better and, and, and give you a new insight. Thank you. That was a roundabout answer, Kelly, as, as I tend to do, but I, I, <laughs> well, I think, it, it was like, I think so. about it so much. Yeah. It's, it's there, there, it just takes one, but yeah, it, it, it takes one of all of us together at the same time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Which why I think it's such a profound, such a simple statement, but it's a profound um, yeah. explanation underneath yeah. it, you know, whatever anybody sees in that. Well, today you've been my one. So thank you. Thank you for sharing Luca's light. Thank you for continuing to shine it. Thank you for carrying his story forward so that all of us can get better because of it. Thank you for allowing us at Scripture to help you with the book and keep in touch. Keep oh, in thank touch. you. Thank you for making going. it happen. I will. Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye, Kelly. That was a, an emotional interview, an emotional story. And if you're like me, you probably shed a few tears along the way as you listen to that. She has endured something that no parent ever, ever wants to endure. And there's more to the story. So I am going to encourage you to get the book so you can read more. Um, there's, there's more to be told and shared along the way. But she does in the book list 11 lessons. It's 11 chapters, and they are the 11 lessons that she learned from Luca. And as we come to a close today, I just want to share those lessons with you. 
whether you're going through a challenge or not, or someone you know is, I think these are lessons we can all take with us as we go through our days. Here they are. Number one, recognize the blessings along the way. Number two, make sense of the insensible. Number three, lean on your faith. Number four, the people with you for the worst times are the real deal. Number five, when one door closes, you may have to open another. Number six, not every day is a good day, but there is good in every day. Number seven, the essence of Luca, hashtag Luca effect. <laughs> Number eight, perseverance and pers perspective. Number nine, learning to let go. God's will be done, not mine. Number 10, living with grief. Number 11, moving forward. It's a powerful story. There is so much to be shared from the light of this young man. And I hope you will look down below and get the book at the Amazon link that I'm leaving in the show notes. And if you're inclined, I hope you'll connect with Carol Ann on the Facebook page and become part of that community. For now, this wraps up another episode of It Just Takes One. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We appreciate your support and always love to hear your comments about the different interviews and the different books that we're putting out there. So thank you for joining us and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.